You're listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast, recorded from the Everstwar Chapel Fine Arts Center in Mishawaka, Indiana. Thanks for listening. Good to see you. Man, what a beautiful night, huh? So beautiful out. Thanks for uh, taking your time to be here because tonight I just believe God's going to really do something unique in your life, and I hope you're ready for it. You ready for something good? God's going to do something good here tonight. I can't wait. Well, first things first, how many of you like cookies? How many of you really like cookies? I need, I need a guy that really likes cookies. This guy, your hand went up first. All right, come on up. He saw the bag. Come on up. And then is there, a, is there a gal that really loves cookies that would like to sample? I just saw your hand pop up first, I think. All right, come on up. Okay. All right. So cookies are great. So here's what I've discovered, you know, how many like Oreos? You like Oreos? Now, you know, there's different kinds of Oreos, right? There's the regular. Then I got the step up. This is the double stuff, right? And then there's the mega stuff, right? Now, that's good. They're getting a little greedy with the cream. I like it, but it's just a little too much. Anybody, any mega stuff fans here? Okay. And then there's actually another step up. Do you know what this is? Have you seen these? I can't even remember what they're called. They only sell them in like packs of four because you eat four of them and then you go to sleep for about a week because <laughs> of all the sugar. But there actually is a bigger one than the mega stuff. Here's what I've discovered is that, you know, growing up uh, in church and going to like vacation Bible school, we always had these. You know what I'm talking about? The ripoff. And you know, after all these years, after all the advancements in technology, we still can't get anything close to the Oreo. Do you know what I'm saying? So here, I'm going to just, we're going to do a little taste test here. So what's your, what's your name? I'm Abby. Abby? And give me your name again. I'm Jaden. Jaden, okay. So Abby, go ahead, grab a, grab a, now you thought that was for you, but it's not. You get one of these. Sorry, man. You got to take the dark ones. These are so much better. You'll see. These are different. Oh, you took the light one. Okay. All right. So go ahead. Take a bite. You can do it. It's okay. You can eat in chapel. Go ahead. You good? What do you think? Honestly, what do you think of that? It's a cookie. Yeah, see, it's not. Double stuff does not disappoint, does it? Okay, so just for coming up, you get all these. There you go. I don't want those. Let's go. I'm going to save one of these for later. There you go. go. Thank you. Good job. All right. (laughs) If you have any... Look at this. So sweet. You're too kind. So the thing is, you know, you just can't beat the Oreo, no matter what. You get the generic, of course you pay less for it. It It's, what we're going to talk about tonight really is one example of many. It just, when you're following hard after Jesus, and you're just chasing him, and as we've talked about, and that dream he has for you is chasing you, 
what you'll find is that everything else just doesn't compare. It's all counterfeit. It's all cheap. It's cheaper, and it just doesn't fulfill like the real thing. And that, that's really true of what we're going to talk about tonight. And I gave you a little preview this morning. I told you what we're going to talk about, because this is where the story goes. And there's some of you here that are meant to have an impact and an influence and a platform in your life to do so many great things. There are some people in here, I believe, that you have the potential to impact millions of people. And it doesn't matter who we are, how much influence we have. The, the one thing that, that will derail you quicker than anything else is this particular issue that we're going to talk about tonight. Because when you, when you don't follow God and be obedient in this particular area of your life, it, it leads to such self-destruction. It's, it's amazing how something that can be so good that God made can be so counterfeit in the expressions that we see all around us today and throughout history. So this, this story, we're going to continue on and uh, just put it up here as a reference. Hopefully it'll show up on the screen. Yeah, Genesis 39. We're going to just pick up where we left off from this morning. So in verse 7, right at the end of verse 6, it says, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Ooh la la. There it is, ladies. <laughs> he was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife, do you remember what his master's name was? Potiphar. Okay, Potiphar was his boss. Joseph was not there by choice. He was sold into slavery, remember? So it says, after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Ooh la la, there it is. She notices him, and we don't know exactly how old he is at this point in the story, but he's still young. And so she starts to come on to him sexually. Verse 8, but he refused. And take note of that. Take note of that. He refused. And this is what he says. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater than this house than I am. My master withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Wow. So right there, we're going to stop just for a second and notice that when you think, and I hope some of you guys are kind of writing these thoughts down that I'm putting up here because I want you to remember uh, some of these things. Joseph refused here to sin against God. Notice his language there. He said, how could I do such a thing and sin against God? How could I do this? Now, being a young man in that position, there, there's lots of different layers going on here. This is obviously a, a, very, it's a very clear example of sexual harassment. It's sexual temptation. But it's all, those are also a power dynamic here. Because here's Joseph. He's a foreigner, right? He's not from there. He's in Egypt. And he's in this situation he didn't plan on being in. He was forced to be there. And now all of a sudden, he's got a little bit of power. But you've got Joseph, who's still not a person in position of authority over Potiphar. Potiphar is this person of great power and authority, so he has authority. Joseph has this vulnerability without this authority. And then you have Potiphar's wife coming in and pulling this not only sexual, but like this power play. 
And Joseph had to have probably been thinking several things, like number one, maybe, we don't know, but maybe he thought, well, if I do this, if I give in, maybe it could be actually good for my career. I could maybe actually even go up in the ladder, so to speak, because if I can win the affections of my boss's wife, that could be a good thing for me. But he also could have played it out the other way and said, well, maybe if I do this, it could backfire. If he finds out, then I could literally maybe even be a dead man. So when you think about this temptation, it's a no-win situation. I mean, what is Joseph going to do here? If he says yes, he's going to enjoy it for a short time, but then there's going to be a price to pay. There's going to be a secret life. But if, if he says no, talk about an uncomfortable dynamic. So there's, there's this power play, and she is playing here with, with the position that she has over him, but he refused. Notice that he didn't try to justify it. He could have said, listen, this is a situation I didn't want to be in. I didn't want to be a slave here. I didn't want to work for Potiphar. And, you know, I just feel forced, so I just guess I just need to do it. He could have justified his mind, but he didn't do it, and he made it personal. He didn't make it personal for him. He made it personal with God. Did you catch that? He said, how could I do this and sin against God? And sometimes when we are tempted, we, we lose that part of the equation. We are just focused on ourselves. Remember, we've talked about it already this week. There's people that want to go through life alone without God. And then there's people that want God to follow them. And then there's people that want to follow God. And if you want to follow God, you have to go where he's going. And he's not going to lead you into situations that are outside the boundaries. And there's boundaries here. There's definitions of things. And Joseph didn't try to redefine what was happening here. He didn't try to redefine right, right from wrong, which is really what we've always done. You know, there's a lot of talk today about sexuality, right? There's a lot of talk about definitions and boundaries and what's what and who's who and what do we call people and what, what terms and names and pronouns and, and all this issue has become so complicated that even people that our experts in this area don't really have clear answers. And you know what I found to be true? Is that the further you get away from God's truth, the more complex it becomes. The less things make sense. The more things are fuzzy, complicated, hard to understand. You know, we, we even just simple biological terms and definitions and realities we've made so complicated and I'm not here to make any statements about anyone wherever you might be I'm just saying that God has a clear set of boundaries and when we start trying to justify or stretch or fit something for our own needs or desires the further we get away from God's truth particularly in this area because you may have heard at some point like all sins the same so you know, hey, you might commit adultery, and you might lie, you might murder. It's all the same in God's eyes. Well, in one sense, that's true because it's sin. But listen, don't kid yourself and think that all sin is the same. That's the same logic that would say, well, jaywalking or speeding is the same as murder. Yes, it's all breaking the law, but the consequences are completely different. I'm not saying that there's like different levels of hell or punishment. I'm just saying 
that the more you get away, and, the, and, and just if we use our common sense and read the scripture and try to understand, in areas like sexuality, God definitely sets apart sexuality in terms of the sin that it is and the consequences. And so in this particular situation, he didn't try to redefine it. He just said, this is what it is. I can't do this. I think sometimes when we think about this particular area, we think, well, what can I do? What can I kind of get away with? And so just using this stage as a spectrum, let's say you're here, and this is holding hands, and down there is going all the way. And a lot of times what we do is like just imagine thinking of it this way, like you're driving a car and you're in a parking lot. And you think, well, I'm not going to drive my car and park it down in that space representing going all the way because that's just, I can never do that. I'm not going to do that. And so I'll just park right here in this space. And then you might be tempted, you know what? I'm not going to go all the way down there, but I'll park right here. I mean, I'll just go a little bit further. And it's still okay. Like, that's still so far away. And then after a while sexuality has this progressive nature to it and then it's all of a sudden well it's like oh, we're gonna stay here for a while you know this is okay we're good and then you just start you start moving down the line and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where you never thought you would be and you just went there step by step by step and I'm just kind of warning you tonight that when you start to play around with this particular area, man, it, it's so dangerous. And when I was in college, I read somewhere that people that have written goals for their life, it was a study that was done. People that, college students, they compared college students that had written goals for their life and those that didn't. And those that had written goals for their life made a lot more money during their lifetime. That sounded good to me. So I made a list of goals. And there were different accomplishments, things that I wanted to do or participate in and be a part of. And I still have that list. In fact, I looked at it the other day. One of the things on that list, number two, when I wrote this, I was engaged to be married, was to be faithful to my wife. And I wrote that down. Now, that may sound weird to you, and I actually got that from my friend because I was talking to him about this, and he goes, well, if I have a goal in my life, the one goal is to be faithful to my wife because I think that if I can get to the end of my life and be married and be faithful, then I think that's a pretty significant accomplishment. And I agreed. I said, you know, that, that's, a good, that's a good accomplishment. So I wrote that down. And to this day, I've been able to live up to that promise and that goal and that ideal when I said I do with my wife. And I would just encourage you that when you're obedient in this area of your life, when you're willing to just surrender this, because here's the reality. Every single one of us here have some kind of sexual baggage in our life. We do. And it's maybe something we've never talked to anyone else about, but all of a sudden Joseph finds himself here in a situation where he just refuses and says no and we often think, well, what do we do when we're tempted? And, and God's word has just some great, powerful thoughts. Look at this. No temptation has overtaken you 
except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. God will provide a way out for you. Even like Joseph, when it seems impossible and you go, how, how can I get out of this temptation? And let's step back for a minute and not just talk about this particular temptation of sexuality and sexual temptation, but any kind of temptation. That's the faithfulness of God, is that he will get you through that temptation. So he says no. And then it says uh, in verse 11, One day he went to the house to attend his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, and he ran out of the house. So right there, what he did It's coming. He ran away. He ran away from temptation. He got away from that. Notice that he didn't stick around. He didn't sit there and try to talk with her about it. He didn't try to like make a bargain. He didn't try to, to justify anything. He didn't say, hey, let's sit down and reason together. He just got out of there. In fact, so quickly that his coat came off and he got out of there. Now, if you pay attention to the story... There's a common thread here, and that's the coat he was wearing. No, pun intended, common thread. Do you get it? Dad joke. Stick with me. So he leaves his cloak, and man, he is out of there. He's like, I am not staying here. And he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Is that he ran away. The Scripture says we're supposed to run away from sexual temptation. It's something that we need to get away from. And sometimes that temptation can lure us to get closer and closer and just see how close we can get. Let's just see what we can do. Let's just see what we can watch. Let's just see what we can think about. Let's just see what we can imagine. Let's just see what we can get away with. But he ran away. You know, it's been said that there, there's three different kinds of temptation. There's material temptation, which is the desire for possessions and things. And some of you, you're going to do really well in this life. You're going to make it. And that's going to be a source and an area of temptation for you. Greed is a real thing. And when people get greedy and they have this lust for more, they're, they're continuing to just want more and more. And they'll, they'll buy, they'll purchase, they'll acquire. And it's just never enough. And if you are following Jesus, you have to understand that even being someone of low means, you can still be obsessed with materialism. A lot of people think, well, if you're rich, you're a materialist. But it's not really whether you're rich or poor. It's what you're focused on, right? It's what you think will satisfy. When the Bible talks about false idols, idols are things that overpromise and underdeliver. Idols are things you look for for comfort or direction or peace or identity. And so when it comes to material temptation, some of you are facing that now, but you may face it throughout your life, especially for some of you that are, end up being very successful. And that's something to consider. There's also personal temptation. Personal temptation is when you, you have this desire for control. It might be control in your own life. It might be control over others. When we think about this, throughout your life, you're going to face one of these three, if not all of them, continuing on a regular basis throughout your life. You might be struggling with this idea of just a lust for more things or a lust for more control. And then the last one is what we're talking about a little bit more tonight is, is sexual temptation. 
It's this physical desire for someone else. You know what I've found over the years? Sean and I were talking earlier, and next year we've been married 30 years. I can't believe that. I've been married almost 30 years. And we've counseled hundreds of couples. We've done a lot of premarital counseling, taught classes, done a lot of weddings over the years. And I always talk about love kind of flows and grows in three stages. If you're looking for love, this is how it works. You find someone and you're attracted to them, and it begins in that attractional stage. And what you'll find is that this stage of your relationship, really, you're pretty focused on yourself. It's about me. But then if that relationship continues and you can get beyond kind of that initial phase of attraction, you go into the next phase, which that is that phase of a relational phase. So it's attractional at first, but then it can go to relational. And relational isn't as much about me, but it's about we. It's about us. It's about us experiencing life together and meeting one another's needs. So while here when your relationship starts, it's like, oh, that's great. I feel so good when they're around and they look so nice and, you know, around my arm and like people think it's great and they make me feel good or they buy me things or whatever they do to make you feel good and to meet your needs. But in the relational phase, it's about mutual. It's about a mutual thing. And you know, what's, what's really sad is I don't think a lot of marriages get to the last and most beautiful phase. And that phase is the unconditional phase. That's where it's not even about you or we, it's about them. It's about the other person. Scripture uses different words for love. In English, we're kind of boring. We just kind of have the one word, but the one word they use in Greek in the New Testament is agape. It means supernatural, unconditional. It's not really even a human love necessarily. It's just so focused on the other person. It's not really, I don't think, attainable outside of faith. And this is the kind of love that no matter what, you're going to love them, even if they never love you back. Obviously, we know this is God's love for us. But did you know it's possible in a relationship you can have that love for another person? Now, if you've ever seen that movie, The Notebook, anybody here seen the movie, The Notebook? It's kind of been around, but you know, at the end where they, the big reveal, spoiler alert, she has Alzheimer's, she doesn't know, and he takes care of her. That's what the whole story is about. I just spoiled it for you, but that's a great example. That's a great example of someone that they grow old together and she's at the point at the end of her life where she can't even remember and he's reminding her of all the memories, but he's taking care of her. That's the perfect love. Jesus says in John 15, greater love is known than this and they lay down his life for his friends. That word love there is agape. If you want an amazing relationship, if you want an amazing marriage, if you want an amazing life in terms of sexuality, if you can get into this phase in a relationship, it's the Oreo. It's the best. And everything else is a generic replica that pales in comparison to the real thing. So you got to run away from temptation. Listen to what Paul says, this scripture in the New Testament having a hard time with my clicker tonight. Maybe you can help me up there. It says that we are to flee. There it is, 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Now look at this. 
All other sins a, a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against themselves, against their own body. Paul here in this letter to the Corinthians separates this and says sin and sexual sin is different. So we can't really understand or view it the same in terms of what Paul is saying here through the words of Scripture. We have to understand that it's different, that we have to get away from it. It's not something you stick around. In fact, I would say it's not something that you can really even control. Some of you that have struggled in this area, you go, I'm just praying that God would release me in some way. And he may answer that prayer, but he may not. But it's something you flee from. You know, all the years that, that I've traveled and spoke, like I have a lot of different just personal guidelines and rules just to keep myself accountable. You know, the newest thing now with your phone is like, like my wife, she knows exactly where I am all the time. And so she can see right now that I'm right here in this auditorium, right, with find my phone. And I remember a few years ago staying at a conference with a friend, and it was a conference I was speaking at, and I went out one night, and we were in this hotel, real busy place in downtown in a big city, and we were going out, me and some friends to grab something to eat, and all these ladies from the floor that we were on jumped into the elevator, and you could tell, man, they were going out to just party it up. They were talking about it, and so they went out, and they hit the town, and we went out, and we grabbed something to eat, and then I sat in the lobby later that night and talked with a mentor friend of mine that I don't get to see very often, and we talked to about one in the morning, and then I was going to go to the elevator, go upstairs to the 11th floor and go back to my room. So said goodbye to my mentor friend and he left and I got in the elevator and right before the doors closed, all these five ladies that were out got into the elevator. And you could smell what they were doing. They were just having a good time out there drinking it up. So we got in the elevator and all of a sudden they started to like, you know, kind of like notice there's a guy in the elevator, which was me. And started talking to me and started kind of flirting with me and then the doors opened and I'd forgotten but we all were on the same floor and I was and they were like oh are you following us and I was like believe me no I'm not, I'm not following you and so this was a bigger hotel and we got to the first turn in the hallway and we turned the same way I was going to my room they were going to their room and then we took a second turn and we got to the to my room and to their room and they were right across the hall from each other it's late the guy I was staying with in, in the room uh, with me was already in bed, a friend of mine, and I do that. You know, I don't like to stay places alone just because of things like this. So I'm standing there, I'm pulling out my key, and these five beautiful women looked at me and said, why don't you come inside? Why don't you come in the room, hang out for a while? And I'm standing there, and it was like time stood still, and I sat there, and I thought to myself in my mind, no one would ever know. No one would know at this moment, if I were to go in that room, my roommate's asleep, no one knows I'm here, I was leaving the next morning, and all that's flashing through my mind so fast, I'm going, what do I do in this moment? Because here I was trying to build all these protections into my life and still found myself at this place of great vulnerability. And I looked over at them, and they're looking at me like, you know, come on, come on in. And I grabbed my room key, and what seemed like forever, 
getting this key out of my pocket. And I looked at him and I said, you know, I don't think my wife would probably appreciate that. And just kind of made a joke. And then went in my room and collapsed in just total fear and panic at what just happened. Because I thought to myself, would a typical guy, even me, want to go in there? Of course. But I had to run away from that temptation. And young men, young women, I am, I'm asking you, if you want your life to count, if you want to see God's fullest blessing on the dreams he has for you, regardless of what your past is, some of you are sitting here and, and you're feeling this growing sense of guilt and shame because of mistakes you've made in the past. And let me just say that God is the forgiver. God's the grace giver. God's the redeemer. God is the restorer. And please allow that forgiveness from him to overtake and overwhelm your soul if you're starting to feel that way. Because regardless of our past, whether we would say we've been obedient or disobedient in this area, it's if we just allow ourselves to just chase after God and trust him and flee from sexual temptation. Some of you here, you here that are going into maybe some kind of ministry leadership. You know, Sean and I have gotten to know each other about the same stage of life and leadership. I mean, how many people have we known over the years that have just crashed and burned because of this area of leadership? It's heartbreaking every single time. People that I know on a regular basis that have been friends that, that fail in this area. And to ever think that you're you're above that, is a scary place to be. You know, it's been said that, that Solomon in Scripture was the wisest man of all time. David had the heart after God, loved God more than anyone else in Scripture. It's the only one that says he was a man after God's own heart. And then you have, if you're familiar with the, the, the person Samson in Scripture, the physically the strongest man in Scripture maybe of all time, and they all failed in this area of sexual temptation. So I'm just begging you. I'm begging you to flee from sexual immorality. And so Joseph runs away. And in verse 16 it says, Potiphar's wife, she kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. Listen to what she says about Joseph. That Hebrew slave you brought in he came to us and made sport of me. As soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So as she tries to seduce Joseph, he does the right thing, and then she turns on him. And when his master heard this, and she told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, and he put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph here... Joseph here is punished for doing the right thing. Joseph here, I don't know what just happened there. <laughs> Joseph finds that his punishment comes on his life for doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. He was promoted. Now you say, wait a minute, he wasn't promoted because he went to prison. Well, God promoted him because he got him out of that situation. But as we follow this story, 
we'll see that when Joseph does the right thing, the results are, are mixed. I think sometimes when we, if, if Joseph would have said, look, hey, I'm trying to do the right thing here, God, and now you're, you're, you're taking me the wrong direction. Because look what happens here. It says, uh, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. You remember we talked about that today, earlier. And he showed him kindness and grin and favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So, Joseph, so the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. Wow, so God's favor is still on him because Joseph is still being faithful. So he's promoted through this punishment. And what I found is a lot of times we judge our obedience by the outcome rather than by the reason. We say, well, I did this and it didn't turn out right, so either God's against me or I did something wrong or whatever, and we judge the outcome instead of judging the reason why we did it. And you know, God looks at your heart. So when you live this life and you're doing the right thing, don't always expect it to end up like you think it would be because this is the same that happened with Joseph. Some of you here are being faithful right now and you feel like you're being punished. You feel like God's against you. You feel like, well, I'm doing this and it's just not happening. So what's up with that? Why am I not moving forward? Why do I feel like God is always holding me back? I'm doing my best to be obedient. But you got to know that this faith that's moving you forward, sometimes you're promoted through things like punishment. And this isn't punishment from God. This might be punishment from others. You know, when wildfires sweep through different forests and this blazing heat just destroys everything, it just wipes out seemingly every living thing there, animals, plants, everything. But there's something really strange that happens in certain parts of the country when a forest fire just rages through and destroys everything. There's a certain tree that actually thrives during a forest fire. It's called a lodgepole pine tree. And a lodgepole pine tree, the pine cones that fall to the ground are wrapped up really tight and they have this resin from the tree that seals them up. And what releases and melts that seal and opens up that pine and where these trees truly thrive is from the heat and the intensity of forest fires. It's amazing to me when we look at creation, all the examples we can find to help guide us in the right way because to me this is an example of how you were built to live. That some of you here are going through a a storm of temptation in your life right now. You might be tempted in what we're talking about here. You might be tempted when it comes to control or material possessions or sexuality, and it's just, it's just raging around. You think, I, I can't make it through. I'm, I'm going to get destroyed by this, and, and it's just not going to make it through. And God is saying, you will thrive during these times of struggle, that you will actually grow and thrive that you will actually see new things happening in your relationship with Christ when everything around you seems to be falling apart and you're still being obedient as best you can. You may not be able to be perfect, but you're being obedient and you're surrendered. And if you're chasing hard after Jesus, you will find that you're like this pine tree that while everyone else around you may wither and everything else around you seems to be dying, that you'll be growing and thriving in Christ. 
Because that's how he designed you to live. He designed you to overcome. What I know is just as Joseph faced this temptation day after day after day. See, Potiphar's wife just, just didn't come in once and say, hey, come to bed with me. It says that over and over and over. And in his daily life, Joseph had to struggle with this temptation. And as best he could, he just kept saying no. What I know particularly about this area of sexuality is that it continues day after day to be an issue in our lives, in our world. And so it's not like, okay, God, deliver me, and I'm done, and I'm gone. And you know what? That may happen. But to be really candid with you, one of my older brothers came to me one day, and our father was the most faithful man of God I've ever known in my life. They were married for 57 years before he passed away, him and my mom. My brother asked him one day, when does, like, sexual temptation kind of go away? And this was in my dad's older age, and he goes, I'll let you know. That was like a shocking answer to me. I was like, what? We have to be faithful and obedient. You know what that means? That means every day, every moment, we have the opportunity to surrender, to be fully surrendered. You know, as, as I was thinking and praying about this moment, I thought, you know, it'd be easy just to say, well, you know, just think about it and do better in this area of your life and try harder and overcome this temptation. But you know, that's not really the key. The key is for us to be fully surrendered. The key is for us to say, God, I want to surrender that area particularly and the area of temptation in my life fresh to you. And I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to just do one more song in response tonight. And here's what I would invite you to do tonight. You know, this week is such a special week and sometimes we talk about, you know, inspirational things like this, and we get all fired up for our faith, and I love that. But I think that a lot of times what it comes down to is just driving a stake in the ground and saying, God, I just want to be obedient and surrender, no matter of my past. Some of you here are struggling in an area of temptation, and some of you here are just struggling to be obedient. Some of you are struggling because of your past. But listen, let's be honest. This is something that every single one of us as human beings, there's something in this area of our lives. And the moment we can be honest with that, and the, moments, the moment that we can say, God, I just want to be obedient. I just want to follow after you. Even if I've messed up in my past, which all of us could say. So I want to invite you to stand right now. And I want to invite you and, and, you know, you can do what you want, but I think it would be great for every single one of us tonight to just step forward and kneel or stand and say, God, I want to be surrendered in this area of my life. Sometimes it's like, oh, that's kind of embarrassing or whatever, but let's just, can we just be real about it? Can we just be real? Yes, can we be real? It's a real thing. Man, we are surrounded in this world by this issue, and it's like sometimes in the church we just can't seem to to really be real about it and it's real and some of you there's there's an intense battle in your heart and your life and God is just waiting for you to to surrender that to him and to give you the strength to overcome you know that scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 no temptation has seized you except what is common 
to mankind. And he will provide a way out. He is faithful to you. So I want to invite you. I want you to, as we sing this song, to step forward. And let's just close with a time of prayer for one another to be obedient. You're here tonight, I believe, because you want to take a step of faith in your life. And so I'm inviting you as we sing to come forward and let's just have a powerful time of surrender and prayer together. All right, let's respond. Thanks for listening to the Bethel University Chapel Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast and get more information at chapel.betheluniversity.edu or check us out on the iTunes store by searching for Bethel University Chapel.